This isn't just a case. It's a macabre horror story with five lives lost and two individuals missing without a trace. A blind religious mother, joining a demonic cult, plots to kill her own children. A chilling cold murder man with his wife. They come together and create bone-chilling tragedies. Have you ever dared to imagine the depths of human fanaticism? The story of Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell will take you on a journey through a twisted world of religious extremism and unsolved mysteries that will leave you questioning your own reality. As we delve into the details of this case, be warned that you are about to embark on a terrifying roller coaster ride of emotions and revelations. You will testify to the cruel side of cults and the dire consequences that can occur when individuals are destroyed by their beliefs. Prepare yourself, for we are about to delve deep into the abyss of depravity. But be forewarned this is not a tale for the faint-hearted. Today's proceedings will start in San Bernardino, which is located in California. Lori Nereen Cox's parents, Barry and Janice Cox, gave birth to her on June 26, 1973. Lori's full name is Lori Nereen Cox. Stacy, Laura, and Summer were her sisters, and she had two brothers named Alex and Adam who were her elder brothers. Although Laura's upbringing was uneventful, it need not have been if one considers what is in store for them in their adulthood. She wed her lover from high school, Nelson Nains, when she was 19 years old in the year 1992. However, the honeymoon phase did not continue for very long, and around one year later, the couple decided to end their marriage. However, she would remarry in 1995 to a guy whose name was William Lagoya, which was another year later. They were doing well, and as a result, they were able to start a family together and give birth to a boy called Colby Ryan. After a successful three years together as a pair, she eventually filed for divorce from William in 1998. The couple had been together for three years. Moving forward in time another three years, we find that Lori tied the knot for the third time in 2001 with a guy whose name was Joseph Ryan. In addition, on September 24, 2002, they welcomed a daughter into the world who would later be given the name Tyler Ryan. In spite of this, the honeymoon phase would not last, and in 2004, Lori and Brian would likewise end up divorcing each other precisely like clockwork. Their friendship became tainted after that as well because, after Lori told Alex, her sister's brother, that Ryan had been violent, Alex would beat Joseph with a taser and threaten to take his life. Joseph had told Alex that Ryan had been aggressive. As a consequence of this, Alex would get a sentence consisting of 190 days in jail and five years on probation for the offense. I thought it would be a good idea to begin the tale with Lori's past because it provides a lot of insight into who she is as a person. Over the course of her life, Lori never stopped being a stunningly beautiful and utterly captivating lady. However, her appetite for risk and excitement had no bounds, and as a result, she frequently found herself impatient and disappointed. To add insult to injury, 
She had a self-centered mentality, which meant that her spouse frequently bore the majority of the responsibility for resolving the issue. By 2005, Lori had reclaimed her status as a single woman. She had ended her relationship with her third husband, and despite the fact that they had two children, she was only caring for one of them, Tylee, on a full-time basis. In 2005, she would have another encounter with a man, and this time, the man's name was Charles Vallow, making him significantly more significant to the narrative. Charles was a man of discernment who put in a lot of effort. He had a commanding presence, was pleasant, and was impeccably groomed at all times. He came from a large family, whom he felt a strong attachment to due to his upbringing. Although he had been born in Arizona on August 17, 1956, when he first met Lori, he was 49 years old, but he gave off the impression of being much younger and more energized. And thus we come full circle once again since it wasn't long before Lori found herself walking down the aisle to marry Charles on February 24, 2006. With Charles's two children from a former marriage, Nicholas and Zachary, plus Lori's daughter Tylee and son Colby, the newlywed couple might soon have a total of four children living under their roof. Nicholas and Zachary were Charles's children from his first marriage. But this won't end here by any means. According to the vast majority of measures, the cobbled-together family is content. Because Charles was a somewhat successful businessman, he was able to provide for his family financially. Lori, on the other hand, did not put in a lot of effort in her work. Before she was married to Charles, she worked as a hairdresser, but after they were married, she didn't do any work at all. The family's living circumstances were strange a lot of the time as well. Nicholas and Zachary have a tradition of traveling to the home of Charles and Lori during the summer break from school. However, Charles would be absent since he would be traveling for work, and Lori would generally be spending time with either her family or her friends. As a consequence of this, Nicholas and Zachary spent a lot of time hanging out with Tyler and Colby on their own. By the time the year 2014 arrived, Charles and Lori had already made the decision to adopt Charles's grandnephew, Joshua Jackson Vallow, sometimes known simply as JJ, was his name. In addition, at this time, Nicholas, Zachary, and Colby were all living elsewhere, which meant that the home of the Vallow family had a total of only four people who were there permanently. It should come as no surprise, therefore, that Charles and Lori made the decision to try out something new in December of 2014. After that, they decided to start their new venture in Hawaii with JJ and Tyler, so they packed up their belongings and relocated there. They named their new establishment Juice Island, and it is located in Princeville on the island of Hawaii. It seems as though the family enjoyed their stay there as well. Lori and Tyler frequently sent photographs of themselves admiring the island's flora, fauna, and scenery. Despite the lifestyle, they were not successful in their commercial endeavors, regrettably. And much to the surprise of everyone, the family opted in late 2016 to go back to Arizona, 
after having lived there for the previous two years. And this is where things would gradually start to become worse for everyone living in the Vallow home. With the year 2015, Lori had gotten absolutely enthralled with a book series titled Standing in Holy Places. She had done so while residing on the island of Hawaii. These books would elevate her faith to a whole new level, and eventually, they would become so essential to her way of life that it bordered on becoming an obsession. Lori was, by the majority of people's definitions, a Mormon, and she was already fairly intensely devout. Chad Daybell is the name of the religious author who wrote the novels, and you shouldn't let it slip your mind since you won't want to forget about him. Lori's attachment to her faith and these books deepened after she moved back to Arizona in 2016, and it wasn't long after that when, in the fall of 2018, she and her friend Melanie Jeep went to an event titled Preparing a People. It was a religious gathering, and it was here that the rest of the narrative started to become a reality since here is where she met Chad Daybell. The rest of the story became a reality because of this. Prepared to do. Putting the finishing touches on an announcement for the People Conference with Chad Daybell, one of our primary speakers. We are now in possession of the very first Rex. Melanie asserts that by the conclusion of the weekend, Chad had revealed to Lori that the two of them had been married in a total of seven different incarnations in the past. After the events, these two started exchanging direct messages with one another, and it wasn't long before things started to become heated up. Several weeks later, while Charles was away on a business trip, Lori invited Chad to hang out at her place while Charles was gone. However, it wasn't a very saucy night. In addition to Melanie, Lori invited a few of other followers from Chad, and the purpose of the gathering was for all of them to discuss the most profound secrets of God. However, Chad was unable to take his gaze off of Lori, and several times during the course of the evening, he made sure that Lori was the focus of everyone's attention. Chad Daybell was a peculiar individual. He was born on the 11th of August in 1968, and he spent his childhood in Provo, Utah. Chad first met Tamara while he was a teenager, and by the time he was 22 years old, the two of them were married. After that, in 1992, he received his bachelor's degree in journalism from Brigham Young University, where he had studied for two years. Chad's existence could hardly be described as luxurious. Even though he had a nice life, his first profession was working as a grave digger at the local cemeteries. However, in 2004, he launched his own company, which brought about the aforementioned transformation. Spring Creek Books was either the name of his enterprise or the name of his book form. After marrying Tamara, he went on to have a total of five children with her and publish over 25 novels, of which half were the titles that Laurie would grow to be fascinated with. After that, he uprooted his life and moved his family to Rexburg, stating that God had instructed him to do so. Chad classified people according to whether they were light or dark and everyone else was categorized into a variety of grades or levels in between. He thought that those who were dark were from this world but followed the teachings of Satan, 
and he believed that people who were light followed the teachings of Jesus Christ. Later on that day, Chad revealed to Lori that he had a theory that she was an everlasting entity and had lived a total of 21 lifetimes in the past, five of which were spent on planet Earth. This was the same amount of lives he had lived. Not only did Lori have faith in Chad's claim, but she was ecstatic and overjoyed upon learning this news. She was captivated with both her newfound purpose in life and Chad at the same time. She couldn't get enough of both of them. After this, the two remained in consistent communication with one another, and in October of 2018, Chad sent an email to Lori in which he shared a chart comparing light and dark spirit estates and finally graded her family as well as her children. This brings us to the year 2019 now. It had been a little over two years since the Vallow family had relocated back to Arizona. And during that time, Charles and Lori's marriage had begun to slowly break apart as Lori devoted more and more time into a religion that, at this level, was becoming more of a cult. She got less involved in the day-to-day -day activities of her life, more distant, and her ideology became more outlandish. She held a firm conviction in the idea that there are bright and shadowy types of individuals. She referred to those that she considered were evil as zombies, and she also claimed that she was an everlasting spirit there to guide the 144,000, a group that had special protection from God. She believed that she had been there from the beginning of time. It got to the point where Charles and Lori fought practically every day, and by this point, it was clear that their marriage was in trouble for good. Charles was out of the office on the 31st of January due to a business trip. It was a Thursday when he arrived back in town after being gone for the previous week. However, during the course of the previous two days, Charles had been unable to get in touch with any of his children. When he got back to the airport, he still hadn't heard from Lori or the kids, and his truck that had been parked in the parking lot was gone. In addition, his truck had been stolen. He took a taxi back home, but as soon as he walked in the door, he noticed that the locks on his door had been changed. He was really surprised. His attire was thrown away in the garbage. He lost $35,000 all at once from his account. At this point, Charles would get in touch with the authorities, and they would meet up with him at the location. So, tell me, what are your plans for tonight? How the home is implying that we belong to the LDS church. She is under the impression that she is a resurrected creature as well as a and a deity. Also, keep in mind the number 144,000. She has arrived. Jesus will return the next year. Today was the day that she withdrew the entirety of the funds from her bank account. There is no sign of my truck at the airport. She obtained it by traveling to the airport. I just arrived in Houston after flying in from Dallas. You definitely stick out. Oh, and about that vehicle. I am unable to say. Upon entering the property, he would notice that the family's automobiles as well as a significant portion of their other belongings had been taken. Charles would tell the police that his wife was threatening him, 
but the officers never took him seriously and even reprimanded him once or twice for wasting their time. He would also tell the police that his wife threatened to kill him. This would be the moment at which Lori would disappear for the next 58 days, and during that time, Charles would have filed for divorce. Although it was obvious that Charles was concerned for her life, he was also equally concerned for both his own and JJ's. She was obviously acting in a way that put their safety in jeopardy, yet the cops were unwilling to take any action to protect them. Although Lori and her daughter Tylee would keep their distance when they returned to Hawaii in April, this was just the beginning of Lori's track down a perilous road. Lori had really traveled back to Hawaii with her daughter. The date was now the 11th of July in 2019. An unidentified man called 911 in the wee hours of the morning to say that he had just slain another person. Alex Cox, Lori's brother, was the one who... Oh, by the way, there was a... After a heated argument with my brother-in-law, I pulled out my gun and shot him. Is it self-defense? Or does he still exist? Or... Yeah, there's blood, the man said. He's... He is not moving in any way. How many years ago did this take place? Give or take a few moments. What's his name? Your sister's husband. Is a common question. The name is Charles Vallow. Okay. What part of his body has been injured? I'm sorry, but where are you? The answer lies in the chest. Okay. Tell me, is he awake, is he responsive, or is he unconscious? Unconscious. Is he still breathing? I can't tell. Hey, are you wanting to go over to him and check? Are you willing to do so? Sure. There need to be some cops present. Please let me know when they have arrived. A short time later. Law enforcement officials would make their way to the Arizona residence located at 5,531 South Four Peaks Place. It had only been a few days since Lori had moved in there. When Charles came, she was in the process of bringing JJ to school while Alex and Tyler were there on the property. During that moment, Charles was there. Alex claims that Charles came up to the property while in an angry state and that when Tyler went to get a bat, Charles and Alex got into a fight. Tyler returned with the bat. When Tyler would come back with the bat, Charles would grab it out of her hand and slap Alex about the head with it once he had taken it from her. Alex's response consisted of taking his gun and shooting Charles many times in the chest when he was confronted. It was there, in the front room, where he would pass away and the police would locate his body just a few minutes later. One would imagine that the family would be in utter disbelief. Yet this is not the case. Actually, the behavior of Lori right outside the crime site was the most obvious red flag. She seemed to be acting quite suspiciously. She was caught on recording joking and even smiling about the circumstances of the incident. How long have you been a resident of this area? Like, three weeks. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. That's why the neighbors are in the dark. Gotcha. Like, hey neighbor. Sorry. 
But what she did a few hours later was much more disturbingly macabre than what she had done before. After that, she would throw a party at her house, which was located only a few meters away from the spot where her ex-husband had passed tragically just a few short hours before. Back at the scene of the incident, Alex was attending to his wounds while the police questioned him about what had happened. In spite of the fact that he stated that Charles had struck him on the back of the head with the baseball bat, the damage that he sustained was remarkably minor. This didn't make sense. Charles played baseball at a level equivalent to the semi-pro level. Alex's life would have been over if he had been struck in the head with a bat by the assailant. On the other hand, Charles was not a violent type of person. After some time had passed, the police decided to let Alex go without further interrogation on the grounds that he had acted in self-defense. Nicholas and Zachary would find out about the passing of their father the next day, but it would be through a text message. Lori opted not to call. And to add insult to injury, the two were completely unprepared for this turn of events. Soon after that, it should not come as a surprise that Lori, together with JJ and Tyler, will relocate out of Arizona. The question is, where will they go? To Rexburg, of course, that was to be expected. After Charles passed away, the surviving members of the family moved into their new house in Idaho and started making themselves at home. The events surrounding Lori Vallow, however, would continue to deteriorate over the course of the following few months. At the beginning of September, she registered J.J. for classes at a local school, but she had not yet done so for Tyler. Yellowstone National Park was the destination for the day trip that she brought both of her children on, along with her brother Alex, on the 8th of September, 2019. In the images, the family appeared to be having a good time while exploring a new part of the United States during the summer. However, after the taking of these images, Tyler would not be seen by anybody else again for the rest of his life. Just like that, she was gone, and Lori, strangely, did not report her disappearance to the authorities. She just stayed silent. And because Tyler had just moved states a few short weeks before, nobody really noticed that she had vanished until it was too late. The next day, J.J. began his first day of school, and it appeared that he was adjusting well to his new surroundings. He even managed to make acquaintances in his immediate community. Just after that, on September 17, he was observed having fun with a body in the neighborhood of his new house in Rexburg, which he had just moved into. The image of him fleeing back into his house was taken by the doorbell camera of a neighbor, but this would also be the last time that J.J. would ever be seen by anybody else again. And on the 23rd of September, Lori gave his school a call to withdraw him from the program she had enrolled him in. She responded to the headmaster's inquiry by stating that he was now receiving his education at home. And that was the end of it. J.J. was gone. Concern among Tylee and J.J.'s close friends and family members over their whereabouts gradually but steadily increased over the course of the subsequent three months. After the passing of their stepfather, members of the family attempted to soothe the two but they were never able to connect with them on an emotional level. 
In addition, Ty Lee had only maintained extremely sporadic communication with her pals in Arizona, all of which took place via text messages, which lacked any sort of personality. If someone questioned their state of health, Lori would reassure them that everything is under control and that they are doing just great. She would either tell them that they were at the house of a friend or that they were at the residence of a family member. But in spite of all the alibis that were provided, no one had seen them in weeks. During this period of time, two significant events took place. The first change was that Lori began renting storage containers far beyond the city limits of Rexburg. On the 1st of October 2019, CCTV camera recorded her putting personal things into the storage container. These included bicycles, scooters, and blank kits for children of all ages. The following day, she was observed once more. It is not quite evident who with, but judging from the manner in which he walks, it is most likely Chad Daybell, who, of course, is a resident of Rexburg, Idaho. The three of them would go to the storage facility a combined total of nine times in the month of October, and then they would go back in November. The second item that was going to take place was going to be a more gruesome one. It was the 9th of October, and Tammy Daybell, Chad Daybell's wife, was standing on her driveway unloading her car of groceries. At that time, a masked guy armed with a paintball gun approached her from behind. He was staring at her. And as soon as she turned around to confront him, he began shooting his weapon at her. She yelled Chad's name, and as soon as she did so, the man raced away. After that, she would make a post on Facebook in which she would say, something really weird just happened and I want you to know so that you can be on guard. After arriving home, I drove into the front driveway and parked my car. Suddenly, while I was taking items out of the rear seat to the car, a man wearing a ski mask and holding a paintball gun appeared behind my vehicle. He fired his gun more than once in my direction. I have no clue what his motivation was and he never responded when I asked him several times about what he believed he was accomplishing by his actions. Tammy made it through the experience, but it was evident that the assault had a profound effect on her. In spite of this, ten days later, Chad would phone 911 to report that Tammy had passed away. This would render the previous information irrelevant. It appeared as though she had passed away peacefully in their house. After conducting their investigation at the scene, the detectives would conclude that the death was accidental. However, when Chad was asked whether they might do an autopsy on her, he reluctantly denied the offer. The coroner found this to be an unusual confrontation, but the people accepted his denial without asking any further questions. To briefly review where we are in the narrative at this juncture, our protagonist, Lori Vallow, now has a family consisting of a husband and two children. Her two children have gone missing, and her husband has recently passed away. Then there is Chad Daybell, who is joined here by his wife, Tammy. Tammy had also passed away at this point. Do you agree that there is an air of mystery surrounding everything? What is going on with all of these homicides and missing persons reports? What exactly are Lori and Chad conspiring to do?
After only two weeks, Chad and Lori would board a plane for Hawaii, where they would exchange their vows and start their new lives together. I'm not joking. At this moment, everyone's attention was gradually being drawn to Chad and now Lori Daybell. They immediately became aware that these two families were being subjected to some peculiar conditions, and the police were also suddenly observing from a distance. Chad and Lori started lying to witnesses while they were on their honeymoon and even after they returned to Rexburg from their trip. Chad would tell people that Lori never had any children, while Lori would tell people that Tyler had passed away many years ago. Neither of them would reveal the truth. The decision to check on JJ's well-being was made by the police at this time on November 26, when it was also the 26th. They went to Lori's house in order to inquire about seeing JJ, but Lori responded by stating that he was not present when they arrived. It would appear that he had returned to Arizona and was spending time with her body Melanie. However, it took the police in Arizona many hours before they were able to coordinate with the police in Idaho. When they questioned Melanie about JJ's location, she was taken aback by the questioning. She informed the police that she hadn't seen him in weeks, and she also told them that Lori and Chad had just contacted her to tell a lie and pretend that JJ was with her. She said that she believed both of these stories to be true. At this point, the police were getting really irate with the situation. They returned the next day with a search warrant in order to investigate further at Lori's residence. However, when they were there, both Lori and Chad were absent. They had really boarded a flight back to Hawaii, and at this point, the newlywed pair had begun to maintain their silence whenever they were in the presence of the media. In addition, the police will formally report Tylee and JJ as missing between the months of December 2019 and January 2020. They plan to execute a search warrant and break into Chad's residence in order to retrieve his computers, mobile phones, and journals. They would also serve notice on Lori, demanding that she turn over Tyler and JJ to the Rexburg police within the next five days or risk being jailed. This notice would require that she do so. Alex, Lori's brother, would also mysteriously pass away on December 12 while all of this was still going on. It is believed that he passed away due to a blood clot or what some coroners may deem natural causes. The date for Lori's notice come and gone, and during that time, she had failed to present either Tyler or JJ to the authorities. The period for Lori's notice had arrived and passed. She did not reveal any information about where they were at any point. Because of this, the police on Hawaii ultimately took Lori into custody on February 20, 2020, and she was released on a $5 million bond. After that, she was brought back to Rexburg and held there in detention there. And despite the fact that they had Lori locked up for the time being, the most important questions regarding this case remained unanswered. Where are J.J. and Tyler right now? Where on earth might they be right now? Who exactly was to blame for their disappearance? Friends and relatives found the pace at which these queries were being answered intolerably sluggish. 
and despite the fact that Chad and Lori had a solid grip on the smoking pistol, Chad remained a free man, and there was no evidence to suggest that he had committed the crime. Before June arrived, there was still an arduous and draining wait ahead of us. On the morning of June 9 at 7 o'clock, officers from the Rexburg Police Department knocked on Chad's door. They obtained a search warrant for his property, which was a residence built in the 1960s that had been rebuilt and was situated on four acres of ground. Before making such a horrifying find, the investigators had been at the scene for only a couple of hours. Unidentified human remains were discovered in the midst of Chad's piece of property, next to the red barn that he owns. And then, a few days later, the authorities determined that the remains were really those of J.J. and Tylee. The mystery surrounding their disappearance has at long last been explained. The remainder of Tylee and J.J.'s families were in a state of utter disbelief. Throughout the many months that they were presumed dead, they clung to the hope that their story would have a happy conclusion. However, the discovery of their remains dashed those expectations and put a stop to any prospect of that happening. We are filled with unfathomable sadness that these two bright stars were stolen from us, said JJ's biological grandparents. We only hope that they died without pain or suffering. Chad Daybell was apprehended by the police as he attempted to flee the scene on the same day that they made their discovery at about 11 a.m. However, he wouldn't go very far since they apprehended him less than two kilometers down the road from his property. One of the felony accusations against him is for concealment, and the other is for altering evidence, so he was placed into the Fremont County Jail on both of those offenses. He has not yet been brought to trial. And so it goes, right up until the present day when this recording was made. Both Chad and Lori are currently incarcerated. They have not yet encountered their tribulations. And despite the fact that the police have revealed that they do want to prosecute both Chad and Lori with murder, the two of them are still being held in prison on far less serious charges which is really pretty ridiculous given the circumstances. If Alex Cox were still around, I have no doubt that he would be behind bars at this very moment as well. Alex returned to Lori's home between the hours of 2.40 and 3.30 in the morning on the day after Tyler was reported missing in Yellowstone National Park. After that, he proceeded to Chad Daybell's property for two hours at 9 o'clock in the morning. The investigations conducted by the police used GPS triangulation to make this discovery. Additionally, GPS data have shown that he was back on Chad's farm the day after JJ was seen for the very last time by any other witness, which was on September 24. After Tylee and JJ went missing, multiple witnesses came forward to say that Lori had started referring to both of them as zombies namely those who were evil and followed Satan. These witnesses said that Lori had called them zombies after they disappeared. Therefore, it appears to me that the outcome of the trial will be completely predictable. Although you should take my judgment with a grain of salt, my best estimate is that Lori and Chad are to fault for this mess. It would appear that both of them have completely misunderstood the teachings of their religious sect. 
They were both monsters, and unfortunately, when two monsters get together, bad things happen. They fell in love with one other. If I had to guess, I would say that after Lori had had enough of Charles, she gave her brother the order to kill him. Because Tyler had seen Charles's passing, she was required to leave the scene. JJ, she had long since given up caring for him because he was not Lori's real son. When Chad met an obsessed woman named Lori, he decided to kill his wife, Tammy. And at this point, I wouldn't even be surprised to hear that Alex might have been killed by Chad or Lori because he was too engaged in the killings that came before him. This is because Alex was too implicated in the deaths that came before him. Who can predict what the next step will be in this scenario? I, for one, find it hard to believe that this is actually happening. It just seems too strange to be true, if you ask me. I have a lot of sympathy and compassion for Tyler and JJ, but I also have a lot of sympathy and compassion for Charles. It is very evident from watching all of the CCTV film what a kind, loving, and gentle man he was. He had a strong love for his wife and children, and when his wife became deranged and joined a cult, he did all in his power to protect his family and his children. It is heartbreaking to see the police let him down time and time again. If they had taken him seriously, there would have been at least four and maybe even five less fatalities associated with this case. Thank you for your time about this case. I cannot express how grateful, and I am certain that I have overlooked certain specifics. But I'm curious, what are your thoughts on Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell? Do you believe that they were responsible for the deaths of Charles and Tammy? Do you believe that they could have prevented the deaths of J.J. and Tylee? Do you believe there's more to this story than meets the eye? Leave a comment below telling me what you think about it, please. I'm going to stop talking about this topic for now, everyone. But once again, I want to thank everyone again and see you in the next case. Goodbye.